Not too long after I moved to Washington with my family some time ago, I was, I'd come up here to receive my first call as an associate pastor, and I was sitting in the living room with my, uh, at that time, 18-month-old daughter. She's now 16. I can't believe how time has gone by. But uh, we're sitting in the living room, we're watching a football game, and really, I was watching the football game. And what she was doing was that uh, she grasped onto my index finger and she was tugging. La la, Dad, as she said, la la. Not now, Lauren. I said, Dad is busy. And I kind of <laughs> push her away, you know, from the television so I could have a clear view of what was going on. But, you know, she persisted. And la la, Dad, and with all the force of her little body, she gathered together in front of me, grabbed my index finger, was pulling again. My eyes were fixed on the television. And uh, at that time, I saw the quarterback of my team drop back and fire an interception right into a defender. Well, I was just disgusted. Ah, boy, and I turned the TV off. And then I allowed my daughter to sort of just pull me up, somewhat reluctantly, but pull me up. And then she started squealing and sort of cheering and half jumping, half running. She led me to the stereo and put my hand on the button to turn the turntable on. See, it was Christmas time, and she wanted me to play her favorite song, Deck the Halls. And so in just a moment, the room was filled with music, and we were kind of dancing away. Really, I was dancing, just holding her, and we're singing together, fa-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la, la-la-da-da. It was a beautiful moment. You know, it was a life-bringing moment for me. But it was one that I almost missed and would have if it wouldn't have been for the persistence of my 18-month-old daughter. You know, I like to say that in the 15 years that have gone by, that I've learned my lesson, that uh, I've always made the most of every choice, and I've I've caught the best, but I, I haven't. And I didn't learn my lesson. And I've missed out on moments, special moments with my wife and my kids and friends, but most of all, with my Lord. I've missed out. You have too. Because that's human nature. To roam, to wander, to miss out, to to choose or to sort of settle for what is apparently good in the moment and miss what is best. And in our text this morning, Martha settles for what is good, but Mary chose what is best. So let's look at that this morning, and I appreciate Mike reading it. I sort of put in the bulletin, it was just verses 38 through 41, and I missed the punchline. So Mike caught that, and uh, we're reading through 38 through 42. You know, I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's look at that, uh, this passage together. And uh, at the center of this text... Is are these two women, uh, Mary and Martha, type A Martha and type B Mary. You know, Martha busy making preparations, Mary just sort of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it's easy to sort of characterize Martha in this way and expect this kind of behavior of her. You know, of course Martha would act this way. That's what type A's do. They're, they're always busy. They're always accomplishing something. They're always pursuing, pursuing some goal, achieving thinking then of their next goal or the next thing that they've got in line. But uh, to judge Martha in this way, I I think, is unfair. And it really misses what Jesus is getting at here. 
in this text. Because, you see, at the time, the cultural context was that there was a high social expectation that hosts would show generous hospitality. That was the culture of the Middle East, and it's true even to this day, that hosts show generous hospitality, even to the point where it meant preparing a meal for their guests. So what Martha is doing is she's doing, well, she's doing the socially expected thing. She's doing the good, right, and proper thing in this text. It's Mary that's kind of sloughing off. There she is sitting at Jesus' feet. And, and so Martha's statement really is, is justified. You know, he's, she's saying to Jesus, look, uh, I'm, I'm working hard here and, and my sister is hardly working. And there she is, she's sitting at your feet and you're talking to her and you're letting her get away with all of this. Would you tell that slacker sister of mine to get up and get out here and help bake cookies? Well, Jesus' response would seem at first glance to sort of endorse a perspective that says, you know, hard work and preparation isn't necessary. It's not that important at all. But that's hardly what he's saying. And we just have to look a little bit deeper into the text. If you look at verse 40, it talks about Martha in that place. And it says, Martha had become distracted by all the preparations that she was making. And this word distraction or distracted, it means to let your attention wander. And the implication is that, that Martha uh, was trying to listen in in the other room what Jesus was saying, but, but she was missing out. She, it is, she'd started to miss out. And, and she was start, she'd tried to focus on Jesus as, as sort of the centerpiece of her service. But now uh, things were changing. You know, her, her attention started to wander. Her, her focus was changing. You see, it was hard for her to experience the love of Jesus in the one room and to continue to get bitter and angry at her sister. And, and it was hard for her to find the peace in Christ's words while at the same time being frenzied and fanatic in her preparations. And it was equally hard for her to find sort of the, the comfort and the peace and the selflessness that was in the face of a selfless Savior and at the same time brood and mull it over and, and just become more and more convinced that she was be, being treated unjustly in this case. You see, Martha was becoming self-absorbed and self-centered. And it's that piece that Jesus is going after in this text. You know, it's possible to worship without, without worshiping. And it's possible to pray without having sensed that we have come before the throne of God and pray. It's, it's possible to, to sing and only to have sung, to meditate, and in that silence, only hear silence. Because our human tendency is to wander. Our, our spirit drifts. Our mind goes other places. And I fight that tendency. You fight that tendency. You know, in prayer, a quiet moment of prayer, I fight the tendency in my own mind to want to just sort of drift off and think about all the things that I ought to do, could have done or shouldn't be doing any longer. Or that in worship, as I'm singing a hymn, I fight that tendency that, want to just, that wants me just to keep my mind and my eyes on the page rather than be lifted up into the heavens because what I'm thinking about is some conversation I've had with somebody before worship. Or I'm worrying about something. Pieces that keep my mind and my heart right here in worship. See, to be distracted is to become undone. 
so that the Lord isn't any longer to do what He wants to do in us. We become unchangeable, unmoldable clay, unworkable. And Jesus isn't able to work in us at that moment, in our thoughts, in our hearts, in our attention. Jesus isn't able to work in those things. You see, uh, the truth is that Jesus is the only way to true life. And, boy, the healing and wholeness are only possible in Him. But when we allow our attention to wander and become distracted by other things, well, then we become what we're distracted by. If I'm distracted by a constant need to worry, then I become a worrier. And if I'm distracted by a constant need to be successful, then I become filled up with myself. And if I become distracted by sorrow and pain and grief in my life, chronically, then I become hopeless. Life is not lost by dying. Life is lost minute by minute, moment by moment. And all the day by day as they drag on un, un, uncaring ways that, that, that we act. Sort of self-absorbed ways because we've become distracted from the Lord Jesus who calls us to new life in Himself. We miss out. We miss out on the life that He wants to pour into us. And this brings us then to Mary in our text. Mary, well, this is the first time that Mary appears in Luke's Gospel. We don't know much about her, and to be honest, we don't know anything about her. She just pops up here in Luke's text. But as we do a kind of a survey quickly of, of the Scripture to find out who this Mary is, we find in the three uh, stories about Mary in the Gospels that uh, well, Mary is either kneeling at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, or lying down at the feet of Jesus. What is that? What is it about this woman that holds that kind of posture? That she just can't seem to stand on her feet around Jesus? Well, it's devotion. It's an act of faithfulness. It's an act of gratitude. But even more, it's it's more than that. It's, it's worship. Worship is wanting to be with Jesus more than anything else. More than anyone else. It is wanting to be with the only One who has words wise enough and counsel good enough to guide us in life. The only One compassionate enough to give us comfort and peace in life. The only One strong enough to help us overcome weaknesses and shortcomings and remove the guilt of our sin. He's the only one that knows us enough to fill the void in our life. Worship. Worship is, is finding a new taste of Jesus' love and the assurance of His presence that comes through that. That's worship. And that's worship. That's what Mary wanted. Because to experience that, that worship, it, it's to... It's to want that. It's to know it. It's to seek it first things first. Above all else, before all else. To seek a life with Jesus fully devoted to Him. And that is what Mary wanted. And that's what Mary knew. And that's why Jesus wouldn't take it away from her. The punchline. <laughs> he wouldn't take it away from her. Did you ever notice that 
that the more we focus on what we want and what we need and what we desire in life, the more unhappy we become. Did you ever notice that some of the most miserable people are those that are self-absorbed? Just look at Martha. That, that, uh, oh man, it, it, that some of the greatest malice in life is caused because we've become self-centered and focused only on ourselves. Well, as William James has said this, he said that the only truly happy people that I've met in life are those that have found a cause greater than themselves to live for. And that's true. To find a cause greater than ourselves, it, it takes the focus of our attention off ourselves. We're no longer the center of our own attention. And that's what Mary found in worship. And that's really the principle to worship that she brings us. That, that worship is about forgetting ourselves. One problem at a time, one, one worry at a time. Worship is about forgetting ourselves. Several years ago, my wife and I, we led a, a young marriage group. Now, some of you are probably thinking, young marriage group, you're kidding yourself. And I, I said it's been a while ago, so be nice. But uh, we, were, we led this group. And, uh, you know, a group was about a lot of things. It was about encouraging each other. It was about praying for each other. It was about learning principles about marriage and about family together. Uh, but every night we'd start with worship. And uh, there were times I noticed when couples didn't want to worship. I, I know I didn't particularly feel like worshiping on some nights because I, I'd see them come in the parking lot. I know none of you have been in this routine, but you sort of drive up and you're, you, you, you know, they get out and you don't say anything, but you have that steely-eyed look that you're sort of exchanging to the people you came with. You're angry, but you're at church, so you're not going to show that you're angry because it's church. So there's this silence, you know, and people came like that. And uh, they would come and we'd start singing. And first they'd sing reluctantly. And as song after song came, reluctance turned into compliance. And the compliance, well, it would turn into surrender. And then surrender into renewal. And they were worshiping. And it was quite often that by the end of the meeting, people would say, you know, we came and we were angry at each other. But, you know, frankly, we don't remember what it was we were mad about. And we don't know why we were arguing about it in the first place. You see, through worship, God had, exchanged, had changed their experience. He'd, he'd give them a new experience, a new frame of mind, a new reference point. He'd emptied them of themselves. God wants to give you a new perspective. God wants to give you a new, a, a new change of mind. What is it that He wants to say to you today? What is it that He wants to exchange in you today? If for a moment, our thought life... Well, let me say this. That the that truth is that when we come to God and worship, we want to come sometimes and sort of hide our shortcomings. We want to hide our frailties. We want to hide those things that... Um, well, that we feel we're embarrassed by. And rather, we feel like we need to show God's strength instead of frailty. But what God wants is to meet us just where we are. Because it's there that He wants to change us. It's there that God can transform us. And uh, because it's that we're broken people. I think if, if, uh, if any one of us right now, you know, we're in good company because each one of us, if, if our thought life would be made known... <laughs> Boy, that'd be a scary time, wouldn't it? Our, our sort of our private thought life. 
But what it would reveal is that we're all broken and we're all in good company. And my friends, what we come to worship is we come to worship broken and we come to be remade. And so this brings us to Jesus in the text. And uh, for me, one of the most curious and and, uh, somewhat obscure parts of this text happens right here as we... As we come to Jesus, because Jesus is teaching in this other room. There he is with Mary. And Luke doesn't tell us what he's saying. It reminds me sort of of the time that uh, the woman was caught in adultery and brought to Jesus. And, and Jesus says one thing, and everyone's still sort of standing around. And he starts drawing in the sand. The writer doesn't tell us what he drew. Was he doodling? I don't know. But people started to leave. And in this case, Luke clearly doesn't want us to know what Jesus was saying. Martha didn't know because she was distracted. But Mary knew. And with each word that Jesus was saying, Mary was drawing closer and closer and closer to Him. Luke points out for us, and the point is simply this, that That worship not only takes our focus off ourselves, but it helps us to discover and to rediscover who Jesus is. That worship isn't about you or me. It's about the One who's proven Himself faithful over and over and over again. It's the One whose love for us is endless and unconditional and and all-embracing for you and for me. Worship is about Him whose name is above every single name. And only new life is found, satisfaction for new life is found only in Him. Worship is about God and it's only about God because it's in worship that we realize our own brokenness. It's in worship that we realize how very much we need Him. And then in that moment, as we realize not only how much we need Him, but how much God wishes to change us, it's then in that moment, by the power of His Spirit at work in us, that we find His mercy, His care, His compassion, His strength, His grace, His holiness, His righteousness. And in that moment, God seizes us. And in that moment, God begins to change us and transform us, recreate us, changing our perspective, giving us a new frame of mind. That's worship. That's what God does for us in worship. Well, when I was in college, I was, um, uh, I was invited by a young gal on my floor to attend a Bible study. And, uh, well, I wasn't a Christian at that time, and I often uh, did not take her up on her invitation to go to Bible study, but she had this amazing, unconditional, loving way about inviting me. And I knew every week that she was praying for me, and I knew every week that I was going to receive an invitation to this Bible study from her. Well, God used her and about three other people in my life at that time to bring me to a place where I made a recommitment to Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure if she ever really knew how much she impacted my life because the fruit of my faith in Christ really didn't come out until after I graduated from college. Well, this young gal, uh, after I graduated, she too, a few years later, graduated. And uh, a few years after that, gave me a call. Much had changed in my life. I was just about finished with seminary. I was married. I had this young uh, little baby daughter. I was a new dad. But she called and said she'd like to come over. So I was excited to see her. But I was just so disappointed when we began to talk because she'd fallen away. 
she'd fallen away from her faith in the Lord. Uh, you know, she'd stopped. She had, ever since she'd graduated from college, she hadn't been to Bible study. She hadn't been to, to uh, church. And it just seemed like there'd been some... She had one or two boyfriends. She'd been to graduate school. Another, a few other circumstances in life. But choices that started to stack one on top of the other to the place where she wasn't sure what she believed anymore. Now, it wasn't that she didn't believe in Jesus. just wasn't that she was sure she did believe in Him anymore. It wasn't that she was against Jesus. She just wasn't sure if she was for Him. I was just I was taken back because this woman had been a pillar of faith in my life. Well, all we could really do at that time, or I could do, is just sort of encourage her to go back to church and, and offer her the same unconditional love that she'd offer me. And, I, and I'd have to say that, I, sorry to say, that there's really no happy ending to this story. You know, that that's just kind of the way that it ended. She had slowly fallen away and her faith had become lukewarm at best. But life can be like that, you know. One choice at a time, one life event at a time, slowly moving away from Him who wishes to pour new life into us. Sometimes there are seasons of our lives when we fill our lives with the kinds of things that seem to be good, but they're simply not best and they don't satisfy. See, God has created us with a God-sized hole in our hearts for Him. And the only one that can satisfy that hole is Jesus. Jesus is the only one that satisfies. And each day we face a thousand different decisions daily in, in the choices that we make, either to seek Jesus and the fellowship with Him or not. Cleaning house and baking cookies may seem good, but it's not best when Jesus is in the house. And why settle for less? In John 10.10, Jesus tells us that He's come to bring us abundant life. And there may be some of us this morning who are wondering, where'd that abundant life go? Where, or or, or, uh, or where, what kind of life is that sort of abundant life? For us, maybe Christian walk may have become a, a cold and sometimes bland cup of coffee, or at best, just routine. Same place, same thing. And what we need is a life-bringing, rejuvenating experience. A new start. A dance with Jesus. And I believe this text does that for us this morning. Because Martha reminds us that life is lost, not in dying, but in one choice after another, one distraction after another, which leads us away from Christ. And when we come to Mary, we see one who comes to Jesus in worship, who seeks the Lord, and in that time of worship, forgets herself and rediscovers Jesus. And we come to Jesus one who invites us to draw near to Him and that He will draw near to us. The one, who, the one who helps us and leads us to discover Him. But it's a choice. God gives us the capacity for abundant life. But we have to seek it above all else, before all else, first things first. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word and for the example that Mary and Martha present to us here this day. And Lord God, our heart, our desire is to seek You. Lord, we do desire more of You. We desire, Lord, a fresh experience of Your presence. Lord, that You would have Your way with us and transform us to shape fear into peace. To take desperation 
and replace it with hope. Our weakness with your strength. Lord Jesus, we want to see you above all else. 